My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. Welcome, everyone. On today's episode, I talk to Tanya for the second time. We talk about multiple different indie and narrative games and some of the mechanics and things that you can steal from those games and bring over to your preferred systems. We also talk about asking questions and giving your players narrative control. I think there's a lot of good little notes there for DMs that maybe want to reduce some of the prep and get more buy-in from their players. Tanya also has a Kickstarter going right now that will be ending today called Low Thy Dread Empire. It is a narrative war game and tactical role-playing game. So go ahead and check that out before the Kickstarter is over. If you're interested in helping out the show, don't forget to like, comment, and share the episodes. Contact me if you or a DM you know would like to be on the show. Use any of the affiliate links in the show notes. Or support me over on Patreon or buy me a coffee. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Welcome, everybody. Today I have Tanya with me for the second time. Welcome, Tanya. Hi, Brock. Thank you for having me back. Yes, it's great to have you. Uh, This time, I think we're going to start out our conversation. Um, And for anybody who's listening, if you want to go hear about Tanya, you can check out episode one. Uh, But today we're going to start off talking about narrative game. What would you like to say about narrative? Well, um, there's a a big world of of sort of different styles of gaming there, different table cultures and different uh, sort of games presenting their mechanics and their systems differently. So you've got your, I guess, what were we talking about? It helps to know what the sort of baseline is and trad games are your, your sort of traditional sort of D&D style game where you have a GM who's in charge of the world and all the NPCs and everything and you've got players who have sole domain over saying what their character is doing and then there's some sort of mechanism usually rolling dice that the players can use to determine if they succeed or fail at different tasks and they've got stats on their sheet. The, the sort of mainstream idea of what a roleplay game is, at least traditionally. So uh, I different points in time there have been different sort of names for sort of narrativist focus games or some folks call them story games um indie games they get called broadly um even though there's indie games from all different types so i guess what i end up playing myself more are these sort of story or narrative focus systems where um they look at they basically they take some of those uh core ideas that you see in in trad games and and decide to go against the grain um with an eye towards refocusing on mechanics or table culture or systems of play which are looking at the story and the narrative and the the sort of narrative flow and the the sort of feelings that you're feeling as a player and that's are being invoked by the story of the characters that you're you're playing so i go for more of that sort of game and i think while some people haven't maybe played those or have uh not had much experience with them i think there's a lot of uh tools that can come out from that sort of style of game that apply as much to to trad games or or your sort of old school renaissance your osr games or 
or your Free Kriegspiel Renaissance, the FKR games. These other styles of game that are out there can actually look at the sort of story gaming sphere uh, and pillage a lot of the good ideas from it for themselves. So I think maybe that'd be something I'd like to talk about because that's what I do when I'm running games. Yeah, I think that all falls in line with what we'd like to talk about on podcasts. Um, before we jump into some specific mechanics and stuff, what are some recent ga- uh, narrative games that you've played? Okay, um, recently I played a game called The Soul Survivor, which is um, based on Chinese mythology about um, the time when there were ten suns in the sky and they were shot down from the sky and nine of them died. And the, the last remaining sun had to make its way back up to the heavens to to sort of light up the world and to, to restore some some balance to the world. And so it was a an interesting game where um we basically took turns either as the the main protagonist of the the, the sun trying to reach heaven, the an antagonist on it on the on the journey, or someone that could be a potential a companion or collaborator for that scene or or going beyond for the rest of the game. And so and it's quite an interesting one because I guess uh, the the sort of one of the things to take out of this was that the rules weren't fixed. So we were able to rotate roles and by doing so it meant that everybody added had their own take and their own spin on both the central character and the antagonists and other other sort of NPCs. Uh, and I guess you could take this into to all sorts of other games. Um, you could use this in let, let, let's just pick up D D as the the sort of like the 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 main gate the, the the or the most played game out there. Um, you could have it so that the the DM's role could rotate through the party for even even just for one off of a short time where um or where people take control of each other's characters for a time or have some sort of a troop play where you've got multiple characters each and for different types of mission you pick a different character and and play play sort of someone different each time according to the, the sort of situation that that's occurring so I've been playing there I've played soul survivor what else have I played recently or oh, we played um uh, uh, what's it called? Is it Yegzeba's Bed and Breakfast? It's by uh, Jay Dragon, who who recently um, released Wonder Home. And it's sort of like the next game. It's a playtest document that's out there at the moment, and it's sort of like um, I don't know. Let's the best way to describe it is uh, a sort of um, it's a like a legacy game, uh, almost like legacy board games that you get like Pandemic Legacy. So as you play. There's a, a fixed cast of characters and changes occur to them. And so you you mark those changes on the characters for the next time you come back and play it. And I believe in the final version, you, you, you'll be able to actually add stickers and, and make changes and write things in the actual book. So that we, if even if a whole new group were to come and play it again, they would still be the legacy of what had happened in previous stories. And... Um, so it has that al- aspect to it. It also has an aspect of there's lots of different fixed types of scene or chapter for, that, that occur. And so each time you play, you pick a new chapter and it's almost got its own mini game mechanics and its own sort of flow. So that that way, the way in which the mechanics are set up and the way in which it, it sort of uh, 
it's framed and posited in the way the, the mechanics engaged invoke different emotional responses. They, they, help, they help draw the magic circle along with the play group. So the wait for the motion isn't, isn't being hindered by the rules. The, the wait for the, the emotional feel of the scene is, is being given momentum by those rules. I guess that's something, again, you could take into other games. You say that you wanted to do, uh, like, you're, you're playing D&D, but doing a chase scene with minis on a board isn't going to be that interesting a lot of the time. It's going to be a lot of, like, moving behind, trying to hit, run, trying to hit, and trying to trying to make something happen with mechanics that are, are ill-suited to that. It could work, but... Uh, maybe the lesson is that maybe you could look towards uh, something else that could provide a, a, a sort of almost a mini game. Like there's a, a game out there called Cut to the Chase, which, while it's its own set of rules for running chase scenes, I've used it to just drop it into other game systems uh, and into trad games to give a, a sort of interesting sort of cutaway so it feels different to to the regular flow of gameplay. Um so that's maybe a lesson I could take from that. Um yeah and it so yeah that that's the couple I've played most recently. Um played a little fiasco and well, at least we tried to have not I bought a new box set recently mm-hmm. just before just before lockdown actually. I say recently but time's gone all wibbly the past few years. It was right before the first lockdown and I keep t- bringing it along to to my local uh, local club and putting it down and we, we do a sort of one shot sessions twice a month and so we keep pitching different games for that and every time we're just about to play uh, to play Fiasco something else comes up that, that we end up playing instead so if Jason Morningstar the writer of Fiasco is out there we're very sorry but we did get a game of skeletons in it which is one of his other games so <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of indie games out there to choose from so only doing two a month I'm sure it would take a while to get to, to everything yeah yeah well we we're um well as well as basically we do two two sort of evenings of pickup games so either in the lead up to the night or and then on the, the evening for about half an hour people pitch any games they brought along that they'd like to facilitate or run and then we basically just gravitate towards the games that that take our fancy and if there's any conflicts or games too full or not got enough people we we work out what we're doing and then uh after half an hour just start playing till the end of the evening um which is a lot of fun it's great it's it's really lovely to have a space that's dedicated to small press and indie games because I get to play just such a wide variety of different styles of game and just try like just ideas that I'd never never have came across before. But along with that, we also arrange our own sort of like ongoing and longer form games uh, that take place on on at different times to those those arranged club meets. So I've been running um, a state which is a sort of like local heat like local legend um because a state came out there was a first edition way back in the early 2000s and then it kind of disappeared and nobody thought the setting was really good but the system didn't quite click and nobody thought it would ever come back and it's it's uh just on pre-order at the moment through handiwork games uh who are just down the road in falkirk and um it's amazing it's a it's going to be a really beautiful big book uh with like 
gorgeous, gorgeous art, uh, and the systems are forged in the dark uh, sort of game. So it, it takes its sort of uh, cues from Blades in the Dark by John Harper. And I've been running that as a sort of fortnightly game for the past few months uh, and absolutely loving it. Uh, it's got load. It's got like Blades in the Dark, and it's but especially A State, I think, is a, an evolution from that. Has got a lot for I think trad gamers to really uh, get their teeth into in a way that they will enjoy, but also in a way that will give them loads of new tools for gaming in the future. I'm gonna have to check that one out because <laughs> I really like the Forged in the Dark mechanics mm. um, and the dice resolution and Blades is a lot of fun as well. So I mm. would like to try more games using that. Yeah. Um. I well, the the things that I I take from from A State in particular. Obviously, they've done small small changes like the it's a different set of attribute stats. So in in sort of Forged in the Dark games and in Blades in the Dark, there's at there's these sort of attributes that are more like your your modus operandi about how you're going about things. So you try and sort of say what you're doing in terms of the fiction and and at the same time have a conversation about which of your your stats seems to to fit for the the way in which you're acting. So instead of just uh you can't just sort of hit the button on your top stat every time because a lot of the times in the fiction it just won't make sense to do that and so having those conversations and and sort of appreciating that fictional positioning there's also a, a really nifty little chart that they've put in to help with the understanding on how to basically have a conversation about how risky something is and how much reward there is involved if it's if it's sort of a a desperate act or a, a, a sort of quite quite controlled act, just like in Blades in the Dark. But I think the way in which they've they've visualised that and made it a very visual part of the game has been a a real leap forward. And I, I expect a lot of other other Forged in the Dark games will start using something similar very soon. But the the idea of just playing that, uh, like you, you said, you'd played Blades in the Dark yourself, there, Brock. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that the, the ideas from that, I I find are the the important thing because it breaks down. And once you've sort of grokked, you've got a handle on what's happening with that. That you've got this sort of like fictional position, this sort of idea of like how risky something is, how much reward there is, and what that should mean in terms of mechanics. And that that's informed by your sort of fiction, your discussion at the table about the fiction and what's happening and what the character is doing. And then that feeds into the, the mechanical aspect. And then the mechanical aspect immediately feeds straight back into the, the fiction again. And so you have these narrative outcomes. Um, so rather than sort of saying, oh, I'm going to hit, I pick up these dice, I roll my, my sphinx, plus my weapon bonus, and then we work out some uh, abstract like that's abstract to begin with and then we work out uh, a sort of what does that the gm tells me what that means which is a sort of fictive position but then we have to go straight back into the abstract because we start tallying hit points or we're we're working out effects and we're putting templates down and all this sort of stuff and that's got its own sort of fun and joy in it don't get me wrong uh, 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 like i love uh narrative war games and skirmish games and they're all about that so but the the idea that you can have these sort of mechanisms where you've got fiction going in, it it's almost like firing a, a sort of metal ball bearing at a, a high powered magnet, and it's gonna it's gonna cause it to 
go off in a weird direction and you don't know quite yet when you throw it what's going to happen but you've got some idea and then you pick up your dice you roll it and then it changes the whole fictive direction and then you're you're immediately running with that i feel like that helps make the world seem more uh it gives it a bit more um sort of a bit more what's the word my covid adult brain isn't thinking straight at the moment there's a word for it when you've got um uh, when the fiction seems more real when it seems more uh like immersive yeah uh, kind of immersive there's another word for it but it doesn't matter we could we could i could faff on that all night but i think that yeah it makes it more immersive or more just gives it a, a sense of uh like fi- like uh, like you can believe in the fiction sort of thing i think that it, from you. i think that from playing blades versus like D D. um Kind of like you mentioned with switching between like the narrative and the abstract in D and D, it's kind of uh, you're doing something and then you roll and then it's either a yes or no and then kind of get the result from dungeon master. Whereas with like Forged in the Dark or PBTA games, well, yeah. I feel like the action that you're taking and the roles that you're making feel a little bit more more fluid. Mm. Like going from describing what you're doing to a role to then consequences and then describing what you're doing again seems a little bit more natural and more smooth than it does in a D&D to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I find that the you could that take a lot of those ideas and you can kind of retrofit them onto to trad games quite easily. The way in which that you, you shape the conversation at the table can change based on your experiences with different types of game. And so I guess, yeah, that there's a there's a, a another sort of one of the sort of interesting parts of a state is sort of like the way in which it refocuses from like blades in the dark you're doing these heists to a state you're playing people in a, a this vast sort of sci-fi set, set city and they they're just trying to look out for their little corner of the city and make it better make life better there in some way and so they've refocused it on hope and understanding that area by getting you to answer questions early on about that area and and really sort of bringing out some of the character of the the sort of the location right away and that's that's definitely something that I've done beforehand with uh, lots of other games going back like I've been doing that for about 20 years at least of of sort of like using asking players questions to fill in the blanks about the game because I, like a lot of a lot of GMs feel like the whole weight of the the gate the world is on their shoulders. Like the game world is on their shoulders because that's what the game tells you. The players have got their own player domain, and you're the GM, and you come up with everything else. And so there's a lot a lot a heavy duty of of sort of like knowing things, coming up with things, plotting, planning, having things right in advance, and. I sometimes feel like that type of planning can have a, a sort of negative impact in the long term on the GM, the amount of work they've got to do, on the type of fun that they can have, and if they if they get it wrong, like if they do something the players just aren't vibing with, like it, it can cause more of a hiccup. Whereas you can share some of that load just by having the GM ask. Uh, questions at key moments to help ex- either expand the world or 
uh, or to get more depth about what's happening, what the, the emotional depth of the characters and the play, the, the sort of play involved at the time. So uh, I guess an example of that could be if you had like you've got these players, they've had uh, these characters with their, and they've had this. Um, I'm trying to think of an actual example. Yeah, so they've had a, uh, they've basically had uh, things going badly in their, their neighbourhood and they've been trying to, to fix stuff but there seems to be this escalating uh, gang war between different criminal elements and, and sort of like they're trying to calm it down and you can you can turn to a cat like a player instead of just asking like what do you do the usual sort of thing you can ask them like how are you feeling about how's your character feeling about this circumstance or you can ask them even more like uh, sort of acute questions like how do they feel about this other NPC or this other character so that you can start to explore their inner landscape and, and plumb some more emotional depth and you can also ask them to add details like uh, I had them they went to a sort of arcade and I said so what, what like what happened the last time you were here at this arcade and I, I'll let one of the characters give a little bit of a, a sort of spiel about it and it, in doing so they added like a couple of the the landmarks that were there and i added one of my own based on that like a sort of like a gyroscopic flight simulator thing and we were all sort of chipping in little ideas and it, it helped generate the plot and keep things moving over and so yeah asking questions and and asking questions that help build depth i think a lot of um powered by the apocalypse games uh, especially the sort of first wave of them had a lot of uh, the sort of asking questions built into the mechanics. Like when you roll, if you get ten up, ask two of the two questions from this list type thing. Um, and that that just taking that into other games, but not having to have rolls or anything else, just having that that sort of curiosity to wonder what the characters are thinking and feeling, or that curiosity to ask a player what they think a place looks like or what they think happened in this place or what an NPC is kind of like. Those things can mean that you get a more collaborative group effort going. And yeah, and, and often that just leads to really good depth to the gameplay. It allows you to get to some really interesting, emotional, connected places. Um, even, in, even in sort of like high octane action games or what have you, you can you can really like connect into the characters and the, the, the action really quickly. I think that this is a this is something that I've started to do more. Um and it definitely takes some of the load off of you as a dungeon master. And mm -hmm. it can you can you kind of have different varying levels that you go Right. Like you could just, you know, you could give somebody a piece of information and, and say, how does your character know that? Right. So that's a pretty it's a pretty small piece of information for them to come up with. And it doesn't it probably won't really like alter any of the story that you've done. But you could also ask much more, uh, not, not advanced questions, but much more. Um, I don't know the right word for it, uh, but you could say like. Maybe there's an NPC in a town that you want your players to encounter and they're, they're going to be important to the story. You could you know, say to one of your players, you have a relative or somebody that lives here. Who are they? Why do they live here? You know, yeah, yeah. and then they can you can have this vague idea of I need this thing to exist for the story. But I don't really care who it is. So I'm mm. going to have the players come up with that. The answer to that. Yeah. 
you can you can even take it into a sort of meta narrative level depending on your play group so you could ask them to you could ask them big sort of meta questions about the setting like you could even have like them create your big bad from whole cloth or i've i've had a play group basically know that they're going to explore a dungeon and rather than have them rather than me plot out and plan a dungeon literally their their the sort of first segment of gameplay was them going into libraries and doing the sort of the, the sort of like research of this dungeon but not by making a role and then i hand them clues it was literally like okay so you go in and you you say that you've you've found like an old map partial map of the place okay could you draw that for me and then having the players draw that and then someone else saying well i'm going to get rumors in the the marketplace and it's like okay maybe we do a little bit of role play and what have you but at the end of the day it's like what rumors do you hear uh what route and, and i can i as gm obviously as npcs i can throw in some more rumors of my own and other players can be invited to play in that scene and start creating rumors and so we get this sort of like conglomerate list of rumors and then after about maybe a an hour or two of gaming in this sort of fashion i've got from from absolutely nothing i I can sit down and we've got like the beginnings of a map of a dungeon a bunch of like rumors about what's going on with it like uh, all, 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 all that I knew is that like there's a dungeon there. It's meant to have some treasure, and it's it's like dangerous, and people don't go near it. And that's that's all I started with. And and at the end of it, you've got this sort of like people have put in the bits of games and ideas that interest them. So when we get to going into the dungeon, I, I've kind of got this buy-in collectively from the group. I don't have to worry so much that. Have I made sure that I've put in the bits that they like because they've had ample opportunity to to ensure that there's some say that um, like Jill loves goblins in, in games and thinks they're really funky. And it, when we done the rumors bit, she was able to sort of talk about oh, there's rumors that there's like a warren of goblins in there, that kind of thing. We can we can add that in to the 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 sort of the play the play style without without me having to hope that I'm getting it right. I hadn't considered about having them draw an actual map of a place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so for you mentioned rumors for dungeon masters who are unsure or nervous about giving your players narrative troll Mm. You know, because I think that's a big holdup for a lot yeah. of people, especially when you come from like a D&D background. Yeah, definitely. Um, it can uh, be really uh, hard for them to say, like, I, I don't want to give up control because I don't want to mess up like the world or something. Mm. Uh, but if you just have them give you rumors about things, then you can decide how true it is. It might be, you know, 100% true or might be partially yeah. true or it could be completely false. And even with like the map idea, you could say, okay, you found this map to this dungeon, the players draw it out and you could have it be almost entirely like that, but say, oh, there's like this actually, there's yeah. part of this is caved in or there's a hidden a hidden Bingo. area over here and it's a completely different area, you know? That's 100% it, yeah. That's that's exactly how I played it. Like, or there's a, the the map's incomplete, or it's out of date, or something's gone wrong, all that kind of thing. But um, on your point, the idea that there there can be a bit of a nervousness about is this going to work out if we seed a little bit of a bit of the the sort of um uh, sort of narrative authority. Uh, 
But I think that's a. Uh, I think first up, being open with the table and talking about it and saying let's give this a go um, always helps. And I, I kind of feel like there's uh, like once you've given it a shot, you'll m- most people that give it a go, I think, find that they have a good experience with it. There's uh, I read an interesting thing. I can't remember who's writing this explicitly. It's it's been going about from a, a few different sources. But there's like three layers, layers, social layers. Go, there's three layers of social interaction happening when you're playing any role play game. Okay, so there's the you're just regular interpersonal people at a table layer. Okay, so there's you. And there's some pals or some people that have sat down at a table at a con or some people who have turned up at a club or however you know each other or don't know each other. You've got that layer of the, the, the sort of rules of it, of social interaction, okay? Which are like saying hello, smiling at people or, or not, or uh, like just chatting away with one another. And, and that's, that's sort of one layer that's occurring at any games table, okay? Even when we're playing online, the sort of like the social interaction layer occurs, and then you, along with that, you've got the, the the sort of games mechanics, and so you've got like a set of rules that people are sort of nominally uh, agreeing through by at the social layer that they're going to play using these mechanics of gameplay. So we agree that we're going to roll 20-sided dice and roll to hit, or that we agree that this game has got sort of like a, a bidding mechanic and that we, we bid when there's a conflict or something. Uh, and that, the, that we're going to use either some uh, a rule book with some sort of rules that we kind of all all agree on and and or uh, we're going to have some sort of facilitator or dungeon master or games master who's going to act as an authority or have like narrative authority on that and and like i've said there's other games where you can actually spread that narrative authority about or you can agree on different ways of dividing up that that responsibility but that that all occurs on a sort of mechanical layer and then you've got sort of like a fictive layer along with that and all three of these are interacting. So the the fiction layer is sort of like the narrative, and you're sort of like thinking about the the characters and the the, the flow of the story, and the sort of a, getting feedback on on the emotions from that, and the the sort of way in which you you're sort of thinking. So these sort of three different layers of of gameplay are all happening at the same time and all interacting, and so. A lot of those sort of a lot of problems and a lot of nervousness and a lot of um, worry. Say you think that you're going to seed. Uh, maybe you're thinking about seeding narrative control in some respect, like doing that dungeon thing. But you're worried it's going to to be uh, misused or not understood. Just taking things back to that social layer of just being people at a table talking to one another uh, and sort of explaining where you're coming from. And if a problem does occur, maybe dropping things down to that level or, or, or across to that level is a good way of handling things. It's the, it's the old adage of um, there's problems there's problems at the games table. Well, maybe we should talk about them. Yeah, that's cool. I haven't really heard of a breakdown of the different layers of, you know, basically a gaming table. Uh, mm. so it's interesting to hear those all spread out, but they all make a ton of sense. Yeah. And I guess, I guess this sort of keys into... There's a, a lot of nervousness as, as well from some tech groups when a lot of games these days have 
sort of published either they call them safety mechanics or safety tools or or sort of like that that kind of thing comes up because some people get a little bit oh cagey because I think there's there's two things going on. I think there's a little bit of apprehension of sort of like is this trying to use the rules of the game to constrict to to talk about the social layer and I. Th- think in some ways it is but not in a, a sort of worrisome way it's basically helping you uh I, I like to think of it like drawing the magic circle around the table so if you've got like a, a bit on your rule book and it says hey before you start play um maybe it's a good idea to um what we'll do is we'll, we'll all agree that if a topic comes up that that either bores the hell out of someone or makes someone really it takes them away from the game and makes it feel uncomfortable that there's a, a a sort of card with an x on it in the center and if anyone taps it we'll we'll all just agree to pause and just take a moment to breathe and maybe rewind the narrative a little bit and have just enough conversation to to figure out what we need to do to to make this a, a more fun experience for everyone and then and then restart play from there and i think having that in your game text or having similar things um they don't prevent problems happening and i don't think they claim they will but what they do is they get everybody to talk or to understand uh, a certain way in which we're going to try and behave to one another and and to bring that even if it's meant to be uns- like it could be an unspoken thing normally and 99% of the time things are okay but like i didn't i used to run larps and had no idea that there's a particular piece of music that really um i, I, I don't know why it would do this but my flatmate who was gaming with at the time really couldn't be around that bit of music and so uh by like using these sort of safety mechanics and and then fi- finding that out and then knowing how to to sort of not use that within the sort of soundtrack going on in the background of this game, it was really a, a good bit of information to to make the whole experience better for everyone and it avoided a lot of sort of messiness. Um, but like I say, it doesn't have to be for things that are traumatic either. Um, at, at the the local games club. Uh, a few of us have a, a line, a sort of like bar from appearing in the game, like content we don't want against Cthulhu because we're fed up of our past experiences of people playing games that are meant to be sort of small town America where like there's meant to be some sort of like heist or some sort of hijinks and then all of a sudden we're playing in the middle of a game of Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> and we're just so we we've just got a line against Cthulhu mythos like that comes up as a sort of standard in a lot of games at the moment. Um and it's just because we're just not into that content and and if we're playing something that's meant to be cosmic horror then maybe that line won't get used but you know it's 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 there to be to help set the tone for the table. Um, I don't know, have you heard of a, a cat's sheet at all before? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, grand, grand. Um, uh, hopefully you'll be able to, to link it one on your show notes, but um, it's sort of like a, a, a sheet or... A, it doesn't have to be formally written. You can just have this as a, a conversation that you have with uh, as a group before you start a game. But cats is a, an acronym. Um, and it's for uh, con- the C's for concept. So that's the sort of like the overall concept of the game you're going to be playing. The A 
is for aim of the game. The T is for tone. So the sort of uh, you're going for like a light-hearted comedy, uh, serious, uh, serious sort of uh, gritty uh, tone, or you're going for something that's sort of like melodramatic. Like what what are you going for? And then the final final uh, option is the subject matter. So what sort of uh, subject matter is going to come up in this game? I think just having that conversation at the start or at any point where it feels like it, it'd be good to talk about uh, where the game's going can help keep everyone on the same sort of page. Because if you say, oh, the tone is meant to be, say that you've got a game that it, it, it's meant to be quite black, uh, like, or, or sort of dark gallows humour. Um, and you've got this, you say that's going to be the tone and that we hope that the char in character we're going to try and play everything sort of as if it were real. But when things are funny, what we're going to do is we're not going to to laugh out loud in character or be silly or cookie in character. We're going to try and hold with the tone. And if, say, someone just can't hold it together, you can make the agreement, well, what we'll do is we'll take a two-minute table break. We'll just break things down, grab some juice, stretch our legs, that sort of thing. It means that by having those conversations, you can make your whole play experience like better. It allows you to go like I've played with people for the first time and managed to go into some really deep uh, emotional role play experiences, the kind of stuff that I'd normally in the past expected to do when I'd been gaming with a group for a few years. We've done this on our, our first time gaming together because we were able to talk about which content we would like to leave off the table or which content we'd like to to fade into the background and not focus on and which content we're actually really interested in and what sort of tone and, and concepts we're really wanting to steer towards. It meant that we could jump straight in with that knowledge and go into a lot more depth right away without fear that we'd be stepping on someone's toes because I didn't know where their their comfort zones were. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I've seen documents or like campaign pitches almost that kind of mm. have some of this, but not not necessarily laid out in this um, kind of this concisely. Yeah. Um, and then I, we've also done one of the campaigns that I'm in. Um, we did kind of do a like a lines and veils thing where we talked about um, this is here's where we draw the line. We're not going to talk about this or show it on camera mm -hmm. or we're not gonna hear other things that we, they might get mentioned but it won't be um like we won't play it out at the table sort of a deal either um so i think that all kind of is all kind of similar to what you said just not set up quite as uh straightforward maybe as yeah i, I think that uh, a lot of sort of like the you know, sort of indie game and story game sort of spheres have been using these sort of tools now for a, a long time as standard. Like we, we make it at Edinburgh Indie Gamers, it's, it's a standard requirement that any game ran either a club meet or in conjunction, like organised from the club server or uh, uh, sort of as part, like met through the club. Our games have to use some form of safety mechanic. And we, we sort of recommend maybe, if nothing else, just an X card, but um, it's up to the group to determine what that looks like and to all agree upon it. Um, so it isn't a prescriptive sort of uh, one size fits all. Because we, we also put out, like, we've had discussions about the the fact that, that uh, like, sometimes these safety mechanics aren't 
that they're sort of like quite a crude tool sometimes that they don't that they don't have a lot always have a lot of nuance but we all sort of agree that we'd rather have what we've got and and sort of develop this as uh, further rather than go back to what we had before of just not talking about things and then having moments where people feel sort of uncomfortable or alienated or or sort of uh, they, they they sort of disassociate they, they sort of disassociate from from the situations that we're in and from play and so yeah we've got i, I guess that the the one other sort of main tool we've been using recently along those lines is um stars and wishes uh i've heard it termed like roses and thorns before but i much prefer the sort of stars and wishes sort of set up it it's sort of like something to do after a session of play where we go around the table and we each say one thing that really stood out as a something we really loved about the session and it could be something that happened in in character it could be a, a moment it could be an out of character thing it could be somebody's portrayal of a character anything anything akin to that we all we all have our, our a moment to mention what our star is and then we all say something that we wish for going forward either in the immediate next session or just overarching as we play in the future so it could be something like oh i hope that we'll see that npc again or i i, I really hope that we don't we don't have this sort of like uh, a, mi a more mystery stuff going on because it didn't really click with me or just some something that you're you're hoping for in the next session and i think that works well for any table because it means that the gm uh has this sort of like little moment where everyone can decompress and where you can hear what was working at your table and hear what you they'd like to see in the future Without it being a big negative thing, it isn't like people are going like, let's let's really like poke down on this this moment and and just hate on it. It's about oh, what do we want to do in the future? What do we what have we enjoyed doing this session? I think that's a big big help. So again, this this comes from sort of like the the sort of culture of um, safety tools and and sort of like uh, almost giving people uh, formalized tools which can help you uh like make make that social layer of gaming at the table go smoother and faster especially if you're gaming with people that you you've never gamed with before or who you've only gamed with rarely I, yeah i think that having some sort of a system like this set up um even if if players could have done these things before for example the x card um in any game that you're in even if you haven't formally talked about safety you could just say hey i this makes me feel uncomfortable whatever but having kind of an agreed upon system or procedure for how to do it is i think just yeah. going to make it more likely that we'll use that and be okay using it when they feel to Absolutely, and the thing is that someone might not follow it. You might have someone pre someone presses the X card and then everyone ignores it and they carry on. That can happen. Okay, it's not like you press the X card and suddenly like the a bunch of like power armored marines burst through the window and stop the game. It's like just not happening. But I think you're right. I think by having that conversation, it's sort of like gives a, a, a sort of clicks the fingers for everyone. It, it's like a light bulb moment of, oh, wait a sec, we've got to maybe think about how we're we're all uh how we're all behaving or interconnecting here. What's happened? Something something's happened that we need to maybe 
just pause and put the brakes on a little. That's lovely. It's uh, really nice to be looking out for one another because you want to have fun. Yeah, I think it's definitely good that we've moved towards having more of these tools available and we're finding mm -hmm. new ways to bring those to the table. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, um I guess yeah, that's that's kind of the that's kind of the main the main things I can think of at the moment from sort of like my the sort of like the indie and, and story games that I've been playing. Like things that I would definitely transplant, take wholesale into other other games as the sort of like the, the culture and and the, the sort of like the the sort of small bits of text and mechanics that are used to help weave a better circle of play are are they're universal you could use those in any game um and they've definitely came it's quite interesting I would say that they've they've kind of arisen from uh sort of the freeform and, and Nord Nordic larp type workshopping and also I, I'm pretty sure a lot of this has also came across from uh, like consent tools and and sort of traffic lighting and all sorts of things from the kink community. Sort of, there's so many parallels there, and and I know so many games groups are sort of like Venn diagrams of these different sort of spheres of both gaming and and sort of like other parts of of the world that there there's. There's a lot of overlap there. Yeah. So this, so since you kind of have summed everything up that we talked about, um, now might be a good time to jump a little lightning round, I think. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I love the sound of this. It's a, a really good wee, wee spin you've put together. Um, do you have a pair of dice with you, Jim? Oh, I, I do not have one to hand. Oh, wait, is it, is it D6s? Uh, D, D12s, but you could roll... Two D six and <laughs> we can use that. Okay, I've got two D six handy. Um, right. I didn't realize I needed D twelve, so I'd nope. have to go through the heights and it's that's, kind that's of all right. You do. Uh, I've used these tables with two uh, D six, and they they work fine. You just uh, you towards different results. Hmm. Um, hmm. So we'll need, I'll need a series of rolls, and I'll kind of ask for them one at a time, and then okay. um, I'll tell you basically what this table does. Have you? Have you played Dungeon World at all? Um, yeah, ma many, many, many moons ago. Um, and in fact, I've got a dice roller on my phone, so I've just found a D12 for you. Um, yeah, um, not for a while, though. So um, I, 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 I'll remember it. <laughs> well, so this, these random tables that I'm looking at are actually uh, a third-party supplement for Dungeon World oh, cool. called Careless Wilds. And, and really, it's it's just a grouping of really nice random tables. So the, the game doesn't actually matter. Um, mm. Basically, as we do these rolls, it's going to give us kind of a you know generic thing that we're looking mm -hmm. at, uh, mm -hmm. like a feature or a creature or a structure or something. And then as we do more rolls, it's going to get more specific. So it might be, you know, an arcane feature and maybe mm. it's a portal or something, right? So we'll get, we'll kind of narrow, we'll do a bunch of rolls, we'll narrow down kind of what the thing is, and then we'll kind of come up with, you know, what would maybe an encounter look like in this? Mm. Okay, let's All do right. so Give me your first D12. Is a nine? Nine is a structure. Okay, um, let's see. Twelve? Well, is a ruin. Ooh, excellent. Do another roll. Yeah, here we go. And it is a... If it ever stops. Oh, come on. Um, it's a five. Burial or religious? Hmm. Okay, so do so we have some type of burial, religious ruin? Anything coming to mind? So yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Well, I'm, uh, I'm currently working on a game that's that's all about sort of undead type, uh, undead battling 
coming back to battle for for the living. And so I've got this idea of it being uh it's an old ruined uh like a union hall. It's like this great stone hall that's just been it was burned out uh by by the forces of of capital who decided they couldn't abide by the workers organizing and so besieged their hall and underneath it are all these unquiet graves of former former trade unionists and and sort of like uh their their skeletal remains are are becoming unquiet and starting to burst through the ground to to fight fight for their rights and fight for for worker liberation from beyond the grave <laughs> so uh if a party was to encounter this location what uh maybe what would there be here oh i don't know so maybe they they're going out there thinking that there's these rumors of this this cursed place because the the overlords have have sort of put in place their propaganda to say this is a cursed place and that it's got evil skeletons that are it's got an evil curse on it and so maybe they're going out there to investigate this evil curse and and so when the when a like a rotten hand like bursts through the bursts through the soil and clenches itself its hand into a fist they're going to maybe panic and think that it's a it's a time for a fight uh only only to find that maybe uh the people inside or the the, the skeletons and zombies underneath are, are less keen with fighting and have their own their own goals in mind yeah i almost like you said it seems more like a setup to a, an interesting encounter where it seems like it's going to be combat or they, it's yeah. just that they don't understand the full story and once they kind of get to the bottom of all of the information there may be some way for the players to either lift the curse or you know allow these unquiet souls to kind of be at rest finally yeah. but it would be more so working with uh the souls in the ruin than again yeah definitely that sort of marching sh ima imagine the sort of shock on the players when they find themselves marching shoulder to shoulder with zombies and skeletons to go up to the the lord's keep uh, and and deal with the the real the real curse that could be uh, an interesting twist um, it makes me think of feel like it's kind of like Pirates of the Caribbean or something, um, or, or just lots of lots of old Celtic myth, like the the unquiet dead of Celtic myth. You can sometimes just be like having a wee chat with them. It's no bother. This is this is Finn. He's dead, <laughs> but he's an all right. He's an all right lad. Let's have a wee chat with him, and then we'll go sort out this problem with the curse and the. Apparently they've got to sort out something else and put the land to rights and stop this the sourness from taking hold and off we go. I, I can definitely see something where, um, like you said, they they go off and the king has actually done something that yeah. has cursed this area or something. Yeah, 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 right. absolutely. Or there's, or there's they're, they're like they're, they're worried about their their descendants, like that. They were fighting for a better way, and their descendants are, are living in poverty now, and they want to make sure that they're going to be all right, and that kind of thing. That kind of generational sort of ancestral thing going on can be quite interesting. Like you can do a lot with undead that isn't just like here. Here's a bunch of like antagonists to chop up. Like it can be quite a lot of fun, and you can always bring in the the sort of like the the, the traditional horror movie aspects of it as well. But uh, yeah, don't 
don't don't give up on the fact that uh, folks coming back from the dead can come back for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. I, I like the idea that maybe the the first half of it is them just trying to. <laughs> it's the it's the classic horror at the beginning mm -hmm. where they're trying to figure out what's going on, and then it's like, oh no, actually these guys are all right. They just they need a little help. Yeah, yeah, and they, they, like they, they couldn't communicate because they've not got voice boxes anymore. <laughs> like the throats are gone, so. Uh, Eventually, they managed to figure it all out. That's quite a classic, a classic little sort of uh, TV show. The mon the monster, the monstrous looking thing isn't a monster after all. Uh, sort of epic, like moral of the week on Thundercats or He Man or what have you. You know, <laughs> like, but yeah, I'm, I really like the the wee random role there. Thanks very much for doing that. Yeah, um, and thanks Tanya for coming on and being on the show a second time. Yeah. Not quite okay. Is it okay if I take a moment just to to plug my my upcoming Kickstarter? That would be awesome. Yeah. So, um, as you may gather, I'm doing something that's going to be uh, using Undead. It's called Low Thy Dread Empire, and it's going to be a Zine Quest release, and it's coming out on Kickstarter on the second of August. I'm going to run the campaign for about two weeks, and it's sort of like a half narrative war game, but with like lots of the sort of uh those sorts of ideas about um, narrative rules for, for story games being put into a, a sort of war game framing. So, uh, yeah, and it's going to be a big, big bat. It's going to be a game of big sweeping battles. So it's going to be great for if you need a big battle in one of your other roleplay games. Just you can take this and drop it in as a subsystem that can give you the story of the battle without having to derail your whole campaign or or get bogged down in trying to work out how your other other systems could run a big battle for a set with without it with it still having some sort of input from the players. So yeah, ha look it up. I'll, I'll drop a link to you, Brock, and you can pop it out as well. <laughs> yeah, that'll be perfect. I will include a link to that in the show notes. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and being on the show. Oh, thank you very much again for having me. I always enjoy coming on. I love listening to your show. And so it's really nice to, to get to come on and, and have a good chat with you. Thanks very much, Brock. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.